Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens. Now, before I tell you more about the podcast, let me tell you that my guest in this episode is the poet Lem Sisse. It's important for your understanding of this episode that I tell you the harrowing details of his young life. So if you normally skip through this bit of the podcast, I'd urge you to listen. Thanks. Lem's mother arrived in Britain from Ethiopia in 1966. Pregnant at the time, she was sent from Bracknell in Berkshire to a home for unwed mothers in Lancashire to give birth. Lem was born in Billinge Hospital near Wigan, Lancashire in 1967, where a social worker, Norman Goldthorpe, gave him his name, Norman, and without permission, put him in the care of foster parents, telling them to treat the placement as an adoption. His mother had no knowledge of where her son was and was never told. When Lem, or Norman as he thought he was called, was 12 years old, his highly religious foster parents, who by then had three biological children of their own, placed him in a children's home and said that no one from their family would contact him again. Between the ages of 12 and 17, he was held in a total of four children's homes, when on his 18th birthday he was told to leave. Lem was finally given his birth certificate, which revealed the name of his mother and his own legal name, Lem Sisse. He was also given a letter from his files dated 1968, written by his mother to the social worker who fundamentally stole him from her, pleading for her son's return. She wrote, How can I get Lem back? I want him to be with his own people, his own colour. I don't want him to face discrimination. Lem began the search for her, and finally met his birth mother when he was 21. She was working for the United Nations in the Gambia. So that's the story of Lem Sisse's young life. 
But since then, he's become a BAFTA-nominated international prize-winning writer, broadcaster and poet. Amazingly, he was awarded an MBE in 2010 for services to literature and then in 2021 was awarded an OBE. He's also won the Penn Pinter Prize and a Points of Light Award. He was made an honorary doctor of letters by the University of Huddersfield in 2009, was the official poet of the London 2012 Olympics, appointed as a fellow of the Foundling Museum in 2014, became the patron of All FM Community Radio in Manchester in 2015, when he was also elected as Chancellor of the University of Manchester for a seven-year term. He's appeared on BBC Radio 4's Desert Island Discs and in 2020 joined the Booker Prize judging panel. Lem has appeared on The South Bank Show, Grumpy Old Men, Saturday Live, Have I Got News For You and many other programmes. His latest poetry book is out now and is a selection of four-line poems from his daily poems, written first thing in the morning over the past decade. It's called Let the Light Pour In and I can't recommend it highly enough as you'll hear in this podcast. Lem has written seven plays, four radio plays and nine books, including his autobiography, My Name is Why, the story of his extraordinary and awful upbringing. Lem is Ethiopian for Why, hence the title of his autobiography. If you Google Lem Sisei, all the hits will be about him. There's only one person in the world with that name. So let's listen to the unique Lem Sisei as he tells me the five things he wants in a time capsule, which is the format of this podcast, as I missed that bit out at the beginning. I hope you enjoy listening. Lem, I did that thing this morning where I looked up things about you, obviously, because I thought I don't want to sound like a complete yeah. idiot, but well, it no. sent me off in this really weird path. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it, which is that I looked and I thought, Oh, I've always heard your name. Do you know what I mean? I have never really looked at yes, it. Yes, and suddenly I thought yes. there's an N there. And yeah. So I listened to people talking and are they saying Lem or are they saying Lem? Yeah. Well, in, in Ethiopia, that's the only place where people will say it in one way, which is Lemen. Lemen. So they'll, they'll say Lemen. But uh, here and everywhere else in the world, everyone else in the world, including myself, it's Lem. Right. So I'm I'm both Ethiopian and British. So yeah. I, I didn't know I was Ethiopian until I was in my mid twenties. So I, I I accept it from Ethiopians, but I actually prefer other people just to say Lemsis. In fact, when I found out my name, I saw my name on my birth certificate when I was fifteen, sixteen. I thought that it was a spelling mistake from the registrar. Yeah, you so would I didn't do. know any Ethiopians. You know, I just thought, oh, it's obviously a spelling mistake. But actually, registrars are very particular. You know, other people may not be, you know, they get names wrong, etc. Like the Hackney Council got my name wrong on the, you know, but but actually registrars are very particular, you know, they're, they're very yeah. particular. It's a very important spelling. So it turns out that that is the spelling. And I've got letters from my mother when I was one year old and it says that's how it's, and I've got my files from my childhood as well. So I've got all these proofs that that yeah. is how you spell it. How extraordinary, though, to have lived all that time not knowing your name. Not knowing my name. And then when I did know my name, I thought, oh, it's a spelling mistake. <laughs> yeah, they've made a mistake. You know? yeah, I wonder yeah. what it really is. Yeah, You're saying, oh, my God, I think my name's Lemon. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, no, it must be a spelling mistake, so it must be Lem. And then I took my name then as Lem, to say. But it's only later on when I saw the letters from my mother, I realised I hadn't put the two things together. Isn't that strange? 
when mm. I was 80, I got my birth certificate and my letters from my mother at the same time. But I didn't put together that she spelt my name L-E-M-N. Mm. Isn't that funny? It took me years to realize that it wasn't. It's funny what the brain can do. I've, so I've been like a detective in my own story. So yeah, quite. That, 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 that's why this knowledge of one's own name has happened in steps. And I guess it does for all of us in many ways. Yeah. Well, our relationship to our name is such a, a profound realisation, which we miss from, for a lot of our lives. You know, hey, my name's Michael, you know, mm. and then you look into what it means and then why you were called it and then who it was named after and who else has got the name. And and, and slowly your own story starts to evolve. And, and of course, it changes as well. When I was a young boy, everybody called me Mickey. Right. And then suddenly right. they stopped. My younger brother still calls me Mickey. My father and my younger brother, the only two people who ever did, you know, after I was sort of 13. And then I became Mike. And it's just, it's carried on as Mike, really. That's a really beautiful thing because, because like myself, actually, they hold Mickey in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, they hold Mickey in mind. And, and, and that Mickey is set in amber inside the kind of forest of their their lives and imaginations yeah you know and there's something to that you're right and it's mike after that and mike yeah. is inside the memories of the people who call you mike you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then of course i have those other people because i added fenton in the middle of my name when i became an actor and that's my wife's name so there are people still in my life who call me mike stevens but that's just <laughs> It's not a thing of beauty that you it is, yeah. put your wife's name inside your name. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so that, that's quite moving, actually. That's ah, that's just beautiful. In fact. Yeah. I mean, because your wife is carried within your name, and also because that is you as the actor, and and the actor being the person who holds many names. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it's also how I want the people to see me. Yes. Which is nice. You know, publicly, I want to be known as this person that's a conglomerate. Yes. That's, <laughs> just, that's the real thing of beauty. I, I will never tire of um, speaking of the name of a person and then walking through the story as we've just done. Yeah, yeah. There was something you said in, in an interview a while back. It stuck with me. It was a very good way to look at things. You said a family is a collection of disputed memories from our lifetime. (laughs) And I thought uh, that is just about the clearest definition of a family. It's astonishing because that's what you spend your entire life doing. You turn up saying, no, it wasn't that. That didn't happen. This happened. You said this. Yeah. And in that discussion, argument, whatever, becomes the nature of family. Mm-hmm. The collective memory that's disputed yeah. over a, over a lifetime. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Thank you because I have I felt quite often quite outside the familial structure, and mm-hmm. that actually that actually has given me like um best way to explain it is given me like a glass bottomed boat view yes. of some of the natures of family without being so close to them that I can't see them. So it's a lot. So for me to have been able to share that back and for you to have been able to collect that as an example of what family is, it's actually a really long journey. And, and I really appreciate you, you sort of saying that. 
Well, it must be a long journey and it's an unusual journey, although I'm sure there are lots of people who've been through it, similar things in their lives. But that journey of not having a family and then having to search for it and find them and define what a family is as far as you're concerned, because we take it for granted. People with a family, you absolutely take it for granted. And that's good. Yeah. But it's an extraordinary thing when it's pointed out to you that there are people and these people are, of course, tiny children yeah that's when you go oh my word i mean i have to say lots of the things that you say they really resonate with me and they really they move me they really move me i think it's it's a wonderful thing i love your fight for child care yeah thank you children are without a doubt the most important thing and it should be as i think you've said it should be our main concern in life yeah yeah Mm. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, I've been lucky in many ways to be able to find a place to uh, voice my concerns over what happened to me and that happens to a lot of other young people who are in care. And, I've, you know, I've been able to walk on stages and speak truth to power to a certain degree mm. and to varying degrees of effectiveness as well, to be absolutely honest. But the most important connection that with my story and the story of others is been through art and been through poetry and through mm. performance, mm-hmm. through speaking, through metaphor, through symbolism and analogy, and to be able to connect the child in care story with Superman, who was adopted, and, and Harry Potter, who was fostered, and, mm-hmm. and Jane Eyre, who was adopted, and Heathcliff, who was orphaned, and the Greek myths as well, some of the characters from there who had no parents in search of their mother and father, in search of love. You know, um, James Bond was was fostered. Yeah. But, but what I'm trying to say is that to have come at this from the perspective as an artist, to be able to make non-linear links you know, with popular culture, just like that saying that you said, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, of, of, of family and the, to be able to connect those receptors in the minds of some of the public has been a real honour for me. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I, I, everything I give, I get back tenfold. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But do you know what's gorgeous about it, though, Lem, is the fact that you do it in that way. I mean, if you wrote an essay... And it's a beautifully constructed essay with the arguments are all clear as a bell. Nobody would read it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do, but yeah. you say one beautiful, pithy thing yeah. that gets to the heart of it. Yeah. And in a way, that is what poetry is. Yes. Yeah, that's right. It's the concentrated orange juice of, mm. of culture, concentrated yeah. ideas. There's one poem I found in, in Let the Light Pour In that I just, honestly, it's a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Thank you. And uh, do you mind if I quote it? Oh, please do, yeah, Because yes. as, as we know, they are just sort of uh, quadrains, really, so it's, yeah. it's very, very short. But it says, remember you were loved. I felt your spirit grow. I held on for the love of you, and then for love, let go. And, oh, my God. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> I get moved when I uh, hear that I really do because um, it, it was originally written. I sometimes don't like saying the reasons, but can I can I tell you a little short story about this? Please do. Yes, do. It was written for women who give their child away. Um, that was the idea of it. I sometimes mm-hmm. don't like saying the reasons for the writing these because you know everybody has their own thing. But I'll read it again. 
Remember you were loved. Oh, gosh, I've loved. It's gone. <laughs> you can do it. Remember you were loved. I felt your spirit grow. Remember you were loved. I felt your spirit grow. And the next line. I held on for the love of you. And then for love let go. Yeah. I, so I had it as a somebody giving away their child for a of better course. life. You know? Of course. Um, but it resonates with parents. That yeah. thing for me as a parent. Yes. That the, yes. It absolutely does. That's what it was. It, it was actually a parent letting somebody go mm. physically, but actually it's on every level. It, 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 that's parenthood, isn't it? Absolutely what it is, yeah. It's the most difficult thing the to do. height of parenthood. Yeah. I mean, as you say, that thing of my father and my brother calling me Mickey, it's in a way they're sort of holding me back into my childhood, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thing of sort of going, okay, yeah, yeah. now you're an adult, yeah. off you go. Yeah. Live your own life. Off you go. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Last uh, week, a woman who I know, the woman who commissioned me to write a poem for the London Olympics, mm. who took me around the Olympic site and said, you know, choose a poem before anything, any of the sites had been built when it was just uh, railings and mud. <laughs> she told me about the history of the place and I found the poem and it was written and it's on the park today and it was there at the Olympics. But mm. she has cancer right now. I'm going to say it very clearly. And I, people talk about trigger warnings. So there's a one one of, of this story, but she's um, at the end of her life and um, she lives with her partner and she got the book, Let the Light Pour In, and she said uh, they have decided that that poem is what her partner is going to read at her celebration oh. after she's passed, which will be in about a month's time. Wow. So if you read that again, if you don't mind. And, I don't and, mind and reading imagine it at all. It's, it's, it's the, yeah. the poem that she has decided that her partner oh. will read to her mm. at her celebration after she has passed away. Mm -hmm. Remember you were loved. I felt your spirit grow. I held on for the love of you, and then for love, let go. That's beautiful. So she's chosen. She's chosen that for her partner to read. It's it's amazing. <laughs> that, and I asked that, her if I could tell people that story, and she said yes, I could. Wonderful. Her name's Sarah Weir. Sarah Weir. Well, Sarah bless her. Weir, yeah. Yeah, bless, her. bless her. Yeah. But how? What a brave thing to do to accept that that's what's going to happen. But in fact, we all have to accept that. We have to accept yeah. that that's the future. She knows she's got that coming. I mean, that, that's a doctor has, has yeah. said that, so, you know, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. You get to a certain age and you have these experiences in life, don't you? You yes, have, yeah. you know, I know many people who've died. I've yes. sat with friends as they died. Yeah. I've done services yeah. for people who've died. I think, strangely, as I've gone through life, I found that death is a very useful thing to have right at the front of your mind. Absolutely. Be because in a way, it's an inspiration. You sort of go, this is finite. When I spoke to her last week, uh, I sent her an email, said, look, when, just let me know when to call. And she called me and she said, uh, and it's never hit me as more profound than it did when she said it. She said, Lem, there's no time like the present. <laughs> oh, my I word. Mean, there is no time like the present. And for the first time, it truly resonated what mm. that meant. Yes. We go through life all the time, in a way, not thinking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, how brilliant. 
Yeah. Glenn, what I'm going to do with you now on this podcast is we're going to look at some things that you've chosen from your life. Yes. That you'd want to have in a time capsule. So in a way, it's a sort of reflective thing, but hopefully it yes. will it will lead us to discover more about your life and what you treasure from it. Yes. All right. So what's the first thing you've chosen? Um, the first thing that I've chosen is what's called a gabi, and it's a piece of Ethiopian cloth. It's classically uh, white, and the best description I would have of it is it's very similar in properties to a cobweb. If you think of a cobweb laid out in a square, Mm-hmm. A piece of material, and then you were to fold the cobweb back over itself, and it's all white. And then you were to fold it again back over itself and stretch it as well, so it kept stretched. Then, if you were to drape that over yourself from your shoulders like a a square scarf, a piece of material, and pull it over your shoulders, it would maintain heat in winter, right? But it would allow air in summer yes you know it's the perfect material and if you go to a place like lalibela deep in the heart of ethiopia on uh, easter you'll see thousands and thousands of ethiopians with the gabi around them it's a very Mm. biblical like scene it's a a white material Mm. but the reason i give it to you is because when i first met my mother when i was 21 years of age uh, and she was working in the Gambia, but she was from Ethiopia. She gave me a gabi. Uh. And after I came back to Manchester, which was in the heart of the Manchester era, by the way, Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, you know, the, the whole city was pulsating with energy, of which I was a part. Mm-hmm. And I moved flats and I, I lost my gabi, you know, I lost it uh, somewhere. And it's it's it didn't, it, it was just, it was a piece of material. It was okay. I, um but then much later on, I, I found out from many a, an Ethiopian what a gabi actually is. Mothers, when a child is born, wrap the child in a gabi. Uh. And then as the child gets older, they always have this gabi. The gabi, the, this piece of material is like a, an emotional connection between the child and their mother. I had no idea about this when my mother gave me this piece of cloth. All it felt like was a piece Mm. of cloth. It would spread over a bed, if you want to know the size of it, but it folds beautifully, like I said, of the cobweb, so that you can then drape it around yourself. Yes. And people, Ethiopians, will have a gabi all their life from their mother, and they'll smell it from when they were a baby. Mm. And it's such an intimate connection between a mother and a child. Now, my mother didn't explain that to me. She just gave it to me. And and she's not good at explaining. And half of our problems inside of our families are because we want somebody to explain something to us. Mm-hmm. And actually, I realize now, much later on, that it, it doesn't have to be explained. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the thing. Keep hold of the thing, you know? Yeah. Maybe many years to come, you'll throw it away. But for now, keep hold of it. The, you know, the explaining is not always in words. No. We, some of us can run around in families asking for explanation. Why did you do Wow. <laughs> and it's like, actually, there is something, some familial wisdom in the gift or in the story, 
the tangentially linked allegory or the and and that's something I always never I never because really, of not having a family I never really understood. No, this more fluid is it metaphysical like non non physical anyway nature mm. inside a family. I mean, a proper family would have built into it layers of trust. Yeah, that have developed over many years, and in a way, yeah. you don't require explanations. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Mm. That's it. And 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 then surrounded by, by that layer of trust, the, this is all the nature of love. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 nature of love is in the layers of trust. It's held there somehow. The layers of trust become love. <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. And in lieu of that, so much of my life to this day has to be managed carefully so not to feel mm. that there is no trust. Because you, you have to sort of believe in it, even if it's not been an active part of your existence. Well, to go all those, you have to believe in it. Yeah, to go all those years, though, without trust, you couldn't trust the people who were supposed to be looking after you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of reasons to not trust. But... Even so, I think that the human spirit is a magnificent, incredible thing, and that however hard it is, and however many reasons you have not to forgive and not to trust, the miracle of life is that you can forgive and you can still trust. Yeah, amazing, yeah. So uh, the Gabby is going in my time capsule. Lovely. The symbol of trust and love and memory mm. yes i've got a friend called gabby i'm going to send her that story yeah <laughs> it's a beautiful That's thing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and she is one of those people that makes you feel safe oh wonderful yeah wonderful. yeah i yeah, wonder I brought, if... a, I brought a new word i brought a new, a new word. word to you yeah yeah absolutely yeah. i wonder if we ever pass each other in the street in manchester because i was working at granada television for about four years in the mid-80s Oh, well, well, we could well have done, because I did do a few things for Granada. I, d- mm. I did um, Tony Wilson's Other Side of Midnight. Right, yeah. And I th- I'm pretty sure that was on, on at Granada. I, in fact, no, I, I did Face to Face. Tony Wilson presented a programme called Face to Face, in which mm-hmm. he interviewed authors for half an hour. And it's, it's actually online, this interview. It's a full half an hour interview in the mid-80s in Granada. <laughs> uh, and it had you actually you actually see the Granada sign come up, so we could have walked past each other, yeah, yeah, in, in, in at that time, yeah, yeah, great times, happy days, yeah, yeah, uh, very, very happy days. Did you ever go to? Uh, this is really nothing to do with anybody else, but somebody once took me to a restaurant. It looked like a Mexican restaurant, and it actually, when you went inside, it was a Japanese restaurant. They just never bothered to change the exterior. <laughs> That's great. And nobody seemed to know about it. We would go there and it would be empty. And they had a, a top chef. Gosh. The man said, I, this is really a side thing that I do because I'm in import-export. And when people come over here, they want to go to a good restaurant. So I've opened one. Oh, nice. Great, isn't it? Yeah, but that's also very much of the time in Manchester as well. Mm-hmm. It was a place where people got things done and they and they would yeah wouldn't surprise me if there was a top chef japanese chef in a yep. rundown looking place <laughs> yes quite i can't remember that place but that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, that's very manchester yeah yeah 
Yeah, it was a fabulous place. It had that sense all the time, didn't it? it, it if you wanted to do something, go and do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, yeah. out of that time came a whole lot of comedians, Carolina Hearn, Steve mm-hmm. Coogan, Henry Normal. Yeah, lovely Henry. Who then went on to set up Baby Cow Productions, Yeah, you know, which then won BAFTAs and, and, and the like. And in fact, uh, Steve did um, Philomena, which was a yeah. very key film in putting the adopted children and their mother's dilemma in popular culture mm. so there was a, there was the music of manchester at the time and yes there was the broadcasting there was granada tv as tony wilson as well there there was panorama there as well mm-hmm. really really important time for manchester actually yes it was i had enormous fun <laughs> yeah you would you would have that's great yeah yeah brilliant okay so we've got the gabby in yes. as your first thing yeah lovely so what's number two Okay, it seems wrong to interrupt Lem, but we have to play you some ads at this point, so stay with us and we'll be back as soon as we can. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Here are the rest of the things the extraordinary Lem Sisay would like in his time capsule. Well, there is an Ethiopian theme here. But part of my life has been the bridge of one place in the world to another. And, and this is a photograph of a young prince. And he's Prince Alamayhu. 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 Yeah. yeah. I don't know but him. I don't know Prince who that Alamayhu is. Prince Alamayhu is buried in Windsor Castle, ah. just outside of St. George's Chapel. Right. And he is an Ethiopian prince who was the first Ethiopian child to be adopted by a British person, fostered, I should say, by a British person. And I contest that he was stolen from Ethiopia. Mm. There are some people who say that the king sent him from Ethiopia before committing suicide himself, the king, that is. So in the late 1800s, Prince Alamayhu was brought to England via India under the wing of Captain Speedy, who was working for Sir Robert Napier of Magdala. The actual name of Robert Napier is Baron Robert Napier of Magdala. Magdala is a mountain in Ethiopia 
which is where the king of Ethiopia, Theodros, shot himself in the late 1800s as Sir Robert Napier's army came on the British Empire over from India through Ethiopia to free some diplomats who were under house arrest Mm. because the king felt slighted because Queen Victoria did not reply to his letter and they were supposed to be friends. That's what all of this thing is. And Baron Robert Napier got his name, Baron Robert Napier of Magdala. If you look at the statues in London, you'll see the full name. And the Magdala is the mountain on which the castle was of the man who was killed. Uh, Captain Speedy, who was in charge of that army, brought the son of the emperor back to England, showed him to Queen Victoria, who loved her little princes. Queen Victoria was just enamored by this boy. She wrote about him in her books. And then when the boy turned 18, the government, who were a bit narked about this child that they've been paying for sending to Stanhurst School yes. and rugby school and paying for all of this. Mm-hmm. So the government said, well, he's an adult now at 18. We're not going to pay for him anymore. Captain Speedy sent the child from his house to live with Sir Arthur Ransom's son, Cyril <laughs> Ransom, who was a doctor. Mm-hmm. Within six months, he died uh. at 18 years of age and was then buried in Windsor Castle, and Queen Victoria put a plaque on St. George's Chapel to this Ethiopian prince, mm. there you were a stranger and, and we took you in, something like that. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful line. And yet, you know, that's not what happened. Well, it, you know, there's, there's all kinds of twists to the story, but, but basically Queen Victoria viewed the child as a wonderful child who'd been brought by the army from a place and they were Mm. saving him. That's what she was told. Yeah, yeah. What my foster parents were told is that my mother didn't want me. It's just not true. But, you know, and I've proved that since. And then when I was Mm. 18 and they've done with me, they also just said, right, go away. They left me, left me forever. Yeah. And this is what happened to this prince. But he died within six months of him leaving them. And I think that there's questions to be asked about his death. And he Mm. does write to his grandmother in Ethiopia at some point and says, I think I'm being poisoned. So that that's on the record. That letter is in the British Library. Wow. So it, th- th- there are all of these questions around his life and death, which I have brought to the fore in various documentaries. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 there was also a campaign to get his bones returned to Ethiopia. But because it's the Queen's land, if that was a museum, they would return them. But because it's the Queen's land and because we are told that to move his remains would be to disturb others' remains. And they say they, they can't do that in the palace. I mean, the last time they said that w- was within a year ago. Mm. So here's the thing. I agree that they can't remove his body, but I would say that that is the most curated land. Those catacombs are the most curated catacombs in Britain. Mm. So I, I have to take the Queen's and the King's word for it that it could disturb others, but Mm. Uh, recently, a woman contacted me from New Zealand, which is where Speedy's family are from, Captain Speedy's family is from, to say she has a lock of Prince Alamayhu's hair. Wow. And the reason she found me is because I've written articles and I've written blogs and made documentaries about the story. There's a Radio 4 program called Great Lives where I mm. talk about uh, Prince Alamayhu yeah. in 2013, I think. And so I got her in touch with Alula Pankhurst who is the son of Richard Pankhurst, who is the son of 
Sylvia Pankhurst, <laughs> who was enamored and lived and loved Ethiopia. The Pankhurst family are the most famous family, one of the most famous families in Ethiopia to Ethiopians. Oh, extraordinary. Sylvia, Sylvia Pankhurst is buried there. I didn't know that. But, yes, wow. I know. Richard Pankhurst is buried there. <laughs> Alula Pankhurst lives there. Wow. Okay, so they are like royalty in Ethiopia, believe me. Mm. Now, I got the woman from New Zealand to get in touch with Alula Pankhurst and the embassy. And only a month ago, the foreign minister came from Ethiopia to be given this lock of hair. It was mm. a big official do in London. Yeah. Why am I telling you all of this? Because what I'd like to take into the capsule is a photograph of Prince Alan Mayhew. Right. Because he shall be remembered. Yes. It is extraordinary, isn't it, when you look at that and you look at it as a Victorian thing. Yes. Going way yes. back. And you sort of go, well, that was the attitude of the time. Yeah. But in a way, that story does reflect the way that you were treated. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is that strange thing that we're doing you a favour. Yes. You owe us for this. Oh, gosh, that's so true. You know, there was, there's the sort of dialogue, which is dialogue, no, monologue almost, but which is... We've done you a favour. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I'm, Michael, I'm just repeating what you've said. But no, yeah, no. it's like, we, we saved you from darkest Africa, you know. Yes, lucky you. Yeah, but it's not England. It's Ethiopia that's mentioned in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Abyssinia. You know, <laughs> it's the Nile. The Nile River runs right through Ethiopia. Yeah, you know, yeah. Abyssinia, the name for biblical name for Ethiopia, is throughout the Bible. Yes. If you had a photograph of Jesus, he would look Ethiopian. There's a strong chance of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, and also my family were from a very, very well-to-do family. So if you were going to match pound for pound, emotionally it was wrong, financially it was, it was, oh, there was, oh, dearie me. It's madness, isn't it? Because, I mean, your father was an airline pilot. My father was an airline pilot. My mum went on to marry the vice minister to finance under the emperor, Haile Selassie. Mm. So you know, this is an important family that was absolutely disregarded as being of any worth by the authorities in this country. In fact, your mother, was she was taken from Bedfordshire that's right. to this place to give Sense birth. The and then the, yes, that's right. They tried to force her to sign papers. To, that's right, that's and right. It's quite extraordinary. That's right. What What's quite... Uh, it is extraordinary story, and it, it, it's often the stories that are on the periphery of popular culture that actually can tell us a lot about the culture at the time, mm -hmm. you know. And, and I think we, we've got to also include the fact that my mother was a pregnant woman in the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think there's a lot of this is also about the, I mean, such a, but the patriarchy and and, and what that was in the 60s. You know, mm -hmm. and what that was within faith and religiosity, because faith and religions, they can hold societies together so that we feel safe amongst each other. And there is nothing wrong with that, that that feeling of connection as well, actually, to each other, mm -hmm. bonding and, and, and giving and, um, and all of that. But the problem is, is the rules that become solidified, which will define you as a threat if you don't adhere to certain principles and the woman and the pregnant woman outside of a wedlock was seen as a threat to the mm -hmm. church and state. Yes. And we, our families 
outside of the church and outside of the state, we're the ones who upheld those ideas as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got your nuns and you've got your social workers and we can look back at the past and we can blame them. But actually, the prejudice was on us. Yes. You know. Yeah, yeah. I heard you talking about um, positive discrimination, and that's a, yeah. looking at it the way you look at it, it becomes a different thing. Yeah. It makes it much clearer. You're sort yeah. of saying you've got to remember that there's always been positive discrimination. Because yeah. Got, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Oh, gosh, you really have studied me. I really, yes. I, well, only because it kept me interested all the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that we put the word positive in front of it makes us think that it's a good thing. But in fact, yes. all it is, is we are being positive towards one group of people. Yes. Yeah. And so, in fact, the positive discrimination has always happened. But in fact, it's been in the favour of white men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you see now, I'll never forget I, a friend like older than me by, what am I? I'm 56. So he'll be about 70, so a bit more than mm-hmm. that. And this was about 10, 15 years ago. And he said, oh, me neck, Lim. All the Radio 4 presenters are all women. <laughs> you see, yep. times have changed. And what, what, what I know is that before that, they were all men. Mm-hmm. It's within living memory, this, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, and, but we didn't notice. Yes. Because that's positive discrimination in working in favour of them. Yes. Samira Ahmed was a guest on, on this not long ago. Oh, I love Samira. She's a brilliant woman, and she pointed out something that I'd never really thought about, which is that if, for example, in a film, if over a third of the people in a scene are women, yeah. if you ask people how many women there were in it, they will say more than there were men. Ah, more than there were men, though. What yeah. a choice of words. Yes. It's as if, you know, yeah. well, that's unusual. Look at all those yes. women. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. And I find, I do find, like, oh, gosh, can I tell you just a really quick story? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was up for a BAFTA with a program I did teaching kids in care to write poetry and then perform it, and it was just a blessing. And I, I went, and um, it was between me, Grace and Perry, and a presenter who is an academic, and she did a program on the suffragettes Woolly is her name. Woolly, she's very big on doing stuff on the Queen and on royalty. Right. Yes. Uh, you'd know her name if I said I, it to you. I think I do know who it is. Yes. But the program that won was one presented by her about the suffragettes, mm-hmm. but the production company was all women. It was an all women production company behind the camera, etc., etc., etc. And they won the best uh, factual documentary. I think it was. And I thought to myself a few years ago they wouldn't have even been in the running. No. Because they wouldn't have a production company that was all women. The suffragette wouldn't be the subject matter for mm-hmm. this primetime thingy, and they wouldn't have had a woman presenter. Yeah. So basically, with diversity, the bar isn't lowered. The field is widened. Mm-hmm. The field is widened, man. You get yeah, yeah. more people. You get more talent. That's <laughs> Absolutely. all. Absolutely. It's the idea that, well, we provide very good schools for the rich people, and they're the only people who really need to be educated to that level. We don't need too many. Right. And you go, but no, you're missing out on this enormous yeah. resource. Yeah. It's madness. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I worked recently, I did a pilot show, and the reason I mentioned it is because it's so unusual. But everybody in charge and most of the crew were black. Yes. 
And that's the first time in my career that's happened. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. And you noticed, yeah, you noticed, uh, right? Of course I noticed, yes, but, you, yeah. but I, I went, this is great. Thank yeah. you very much for yeah. letting me in, as it were. I, <laughs> yeah. Would I blame them if they went, well, I'm sorry, mate, you've had it good all your life. Yeah, you know? yeah. No. That's so wonderful. I went last night to see The Colour Purple. It's a, it's a music, it's done in a, as a musical in yeah. a film, and it'll be out in January. Right. And I, and I saw my friend, he, he is a presenter from Breakfast TV. Mm-hmm. And the last time I met him, it was on the on the sofa talking about let the light pour in, which he loves. Yeah. And I said to him, it's so good that you're here. And and, and to be honest, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, this is the colour purple. It's a musical. It's all black characters in the cast. It's a black filmmaker. It was produced by, actually, uh, Steven Spielberg and Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. But I was pleased to see him there because he wasn't black and he was from popular culture. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I thought there would have been a time that you wouldn't have been here, not because you didn't want to be here, but because somebody wouldn't have told you in, in TV. Yeah. So it, when he was there, I thought you either know about this yourself when you come in, which is great, or through the production at Breakfast TV or somewhere, somebody said, oh, this is a good thing to go to. Who wants to go to this? Yeah. And it's that, you know, yes, that's yeah. where the diversity is as well. You know, Of course, on the inclusiveness, the inclusiveness of that, something like that. I mean, in order to create that, it's absolutely understandable that you have to show the new form of positive yeah. discrimination, yeah, as it yeah, were. Yeah. You have to positively discriminate yes. in favour of the people who've always been discriminated against yes. in order to yeah. bring them into the thing. Yes. And how joyous when that is finally done. <laughs> and, and and you see it then at award ceremonies and you see it at the thing. You think, oh, this is what it looks like when there's women here and nobody's <laughs> yeah, yeah. smoking. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? Do you yes. remember when you must remember because I just caught the edge of this in the 1980s. It was, but the, you know, you could smoke inside and there'd be the BBC bar. Yeah. You know, there was one in Manchester, <laughs> there was one in London, obviously, there's a few. And people would say, Oh, well, you've got to mix in that way. Mm. You know, and it, it really was jobs for the boys for a long, long time. Yeah. I think we're just becoming a better at being ourselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as a society. Yeah. Well, and that goes into another area that is obviously very important to you, that we're getting better at it. We're getting better at caring for children in care, yes, aren't yeah. we? We are improving. Yes. No, no, no. I think the most important thing for me is that we who are not in care Mm. are aware that a child in care needs help. That's what I want to change. I want to change the culture outside of the care system Mm -hmm. because the problems with the care system, which, by the way, lead to Jimmy Savills of the world, the problems of the care system are because we in wider society didn't value that resource that is a child in need in in care. Yes, quite. You know, we, we felt separate from them. And I think letting people know that Moses was adopted, you know, (laughs) you know, it's very important because it's to say, look, these children are an incredible resource to life. Yes. As in all children are. But of course, but but, but I think what I'm trying to say is that wider culture is is more aware of the needs of a child in care than they ever have been. And that's that's the big wheel to turn, you know, that, that I'm interested in. Absolutely. The changing of the idea of that these children turn from being what were regarded as a burden on society to being a benefit to society. Honestly, that burden thing 
when you boil it down, it, it, when people think negatively about children in care, I don't want a children's home near to where I live. Mm. They're all self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, those are that's where the bad children are. There must be something wrong with them if they did that, that, that. No good will come of that family, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. these are all sort of animal-like belief systems which mm. cast people outside of the familial. And often you become what you're told you are. Honestly, I saw it happening in the care system. In mm. my book, My Name Is Why, I, I, I track it as it's happening to me. I'm, I'm, I'm literally on a, on a conveyor belt saying, this conveyor belt is going in a direction that I don't want to go in, but there is nothing I can do about it. Yes. And I want you to know that there are people working this conveyor belt and they don't even know it themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's the pit of fire. I'm going to quote know. another poem at you, which I think is so I'll, beautiful. I'll tell you what it is. Uh, you know what it is, don't I'll you? I'll tell you what it is. Go on then. I am the bull in the china shop. Yeah. And with all my strength and will, as a storm smashed the teacups, I stood still. Yeah. Is that the one? That's exactly it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you read that and you just know immediately the situation that the person is in because everything around them is being blamed on them because a bull in a china shop, that's the dangerous thing. That's right. And they've not done anything. You know, if we speak about that as a metaphor, but the bull in the china shop is the teenager. Yeah, yeah. Most kids in care are actually, actually around the teenage years. Mm-hmm. I am the bull in the china shop, and with all my strength and will, you know, imagine a teenager trying not to do wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard enough to it's bring up a teenager. If yes. you, you have a teenager, and all you've done is show them love yeah. and care, oh and they've provided for them, and yet still. Then they... So imagine if that child has never been shown that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... I'm so it's such a pleasure to speak with you because I can you know you you absolutely yes thanks oh bless you <laughs> bless you I mean because I have to say these are things that I've thought for a long time and and reading some of your stuff and looking at things that you've written it's made it so much clearer for me so thank you yeah 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 pleasure okay right well let's put. Prince Alamayu into the time capsule and let's yeah. move, on to, move on to the next thing and see where we go. Yeah. Um, well, there's, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in. Okay. After thinking, but I'm going to show it to you. It's a book. Mm-hmm. It's called hold still and hold still is a phrase that you might say to somebody when using a camera with film <laughs> and you're <laughs> asking us to take a photograph of them. It's like, mm-hmm. hold, hold still, hold still. And um, this book is photographs sent in from the public to the Princess of Wales, right. who is the editor of this book. And um, I was on the editorial group. There was four of us uh, and the Princess of Wales, who was then the Duchess of Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And um, these are photographs from people around the UK mm-hmm. of the pandemic. Ah. All the photographs were taken by families and individuals throughout the pandemic. Yeah, How amazing, because this is something that socially we're told we should let go. Yes. It's over now. Move on. People constantly saying, will this go on forever? Are you going to go on about it forever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I understand. But but what I want to say about the time capsule is Mm. is that through art, 
through these photographs taken by citizens throughout the UK who were translating their experience, their emotional experience in their physical space through art, through finding artistic ways to interpret and show this incredible um, experience that we've all had. Mm. What comes across most of all is the love that we have for each other, okay? Mm. Now, this is a time capsule. How can I transfer, how can I communicate how much people of all cultures, all races, all sexualities in Britain, how can I show that we actually really needed to feel love and that we f- would fight for it if it wasn't there? Th- this is the perfect way to do it. Lovely. Okay, so, you know, I, I know the idea of pandemic fatigue and, you know, especially in the arts and in stories and in plays and in films, okay, we've, we've moved on pretty quickly to be yeah. honest, but mm. I'm not convinced that we've moved on and learned some of the profound lessons that the that, that, that love between us, mm. strangers, and each other, and being in the present is really important. Yes. And you shouldn't forget those moments where you were told you couldn't see people. Yes. You can't see these people that you love. Yes. And the memory of that will surely make you treasure those moments more. There's no time like the present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm going to put this book in to my time capsule because it is an example of my community, that's mm-hmm. all of us, at its best. Yes. You know? and, and how lovely that it's from so many different people. And it's just yeah. those little snapshot moments of yeah. catching someone, doing something for people or looking after themselves or being pensive, as most of us must have been, must have just sat and stared into the distance thinking, where's this going? And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to sort of go, well, let's get back to normality. But Mm. I think that the thing that that demonstrated and the thing that you should remember is there isn't a normality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the intimacies, you know, the things that I think you were speaking of, you know, it's the intimacies. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's what this this book shows the intimacies. Yeah, I'll I'll take that. I'll put that in there. Lovely. All right. So that's three things we put in, isn't it, Lem? Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, we put the Gabby, we put the Prince, yeah, Prince Adamaihu, and we put the book. So we've got one more thing that you want to keep, and one thing that you want to put in there so you can just forget it, bury it. Gosh, that's a really good. Uh... Really good thing. I feel quite like I've been quite selfish, been quite of my own story, but I can only do it from my own perspective. So yeah, absolutely. But I think I'll put in um, uh, how to learn Amharic, which is the Ethiopian language. Right. Um, Are you working on that? Have you have you learned? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. But I, I think <laughs> in my time capsule, <laughs> in my time capsule, what I would like to have though is another language, mm. um, but I, I like the idea of having another language and English so that you can know what everything means. Yes. But one of the first things in the book is this line. It's something like, let's begin with the verb to be. Mm. And I love the idea that to be, <laughs> <laughs> we learn another language, you know. Yes. The thing that I get from what you've talked about, 
is that if you look at the system that was in place when you were taken from your mother and put yeah. into this home or put into yeah. this foster home yeah. and then eventually rejected by them, if you yeah. look at that system, the idea behind it was this is going to be better for you than the life you would have had. And, yeah. And, and yeah. You, you can say, well, you know, so I grew up in Lancashire. I've learned English. Yeah. I was educated yeah. in English school. But the very fact that you don't speak Amharic, yeah, is that's something that was taken from you. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's such a beautiful old language, you know. It, it has such richness in it, and the language that came before it is called Ge'ez, which mm-hmm. goes way back. And you know that there are churches in Ethiopia that were built when. Europe was pagan, yeah, you know, and had no idea of Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, there were churches built in the ground that ba- basically built out of solid pieces of rock, so built going down. Yes, okay, so the rock had to be scooped away, and mm. they're still there to this to this day. I mean, it is the birthplace of mankind. Yes. Yes. And also it was never colonized or the Italians came in for five years and were pushed out again. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to say that because the line has not been broken. Right. The line has not been broken by slavery. And Mm. and so it has a very real connection with the past, which is in in its face, actually, quite a lot of the time. The weird thing is that for for most people in what I would describe as the West, for most people living here... Ethiopia would be a place that only really came into our consciousness because of the famine. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And the famine was Mm. a political plan from the leader in Ethiopia at the time because you can know that a famine's coming. Anybody who works with the land knows what the weather's going to be like next year by how it is this year. Yes. But there was a whole lot of political shenanigans happening meaning that the man who ruled Ethiopia at the time wanted to get a population from one part of Ethiopia moved to another. Mm. And if there's a drought, they'll move them. You know, they'll go. Um, So, you know, thank God for Bob Geldof, um, because, you know, there has to be the people who say, no more, this is not going to happen. We're we're going to do something. And uh, I've I've met Mr. Geldof and I've spoken to him about his work there and he's quite an incredible human being. Mm. Yeah, I've I've spent a very strange afternoon with him once, just (laughs) sitting in a green room waiting to go and film something. And he was a fascinating man. Yes, yeah. And and actually, you know, I, I, I got to ask him the question and he answered kind of in the affirmative, but not in such a linear way. But I said to him, was what he did connected to the famines in Ireland, because mm. I always thought to myself, of course, ah, the, famine yeah. is, the famines of Ireland are, you know, you're, you're only half a day from talking to most Irish people about, you know, about the, the famine will come up at some point. Yeah, yeah, in any, any old Irish family, you know, because it's so connected. So, mm. and, and, and I always felt, oh, that's it. That's the connection. And I think, I think he agreed. Right. Um, I wonder if you'd yeah. ever noticed that or whether it was just instinctive. Oh, oh, no, no. I, I think him telling Margaret Thatcher, you know, you can't take the taxes away from the money we're earning was yeah. directly connected to, you know, you can't do what the English landlords did to us. Yes. 
Yeah. You know, the story of the famine to the Irishman is the story of Ireland, mm-hmm. you know, modern Ireland. Yeah. The, 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 the going to America, you know, it's such a JFK wouldn't have happened had it not been for the famine. Yes. Ethiopia is clearly, I mean, you are Ethiopian and you're British, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's such an important part of your life. It's so strange to think that really you didn't know about it until you were 18. No, isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? And also, you know, I should say that I'm known in Ethiopia. You know, I am the poet mm. who found his family, whose <laughs> name means why. Why? Whose own name as a poet. Is that a unique name then? Well, nobody's called lemon in Ethiopia. <laughs> nobody's called why. It means the question why. Like, why? imagine an English person called why, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, it would be an anomaly. You'd be like, what? Your name is why? <laughs> you know? And that's the way Ethiopia's works for me. And then they learn about my story. And then they see the television programs. And then they're like, oh, my God, this man, his name is why. He's a poet whose name is why. And he found his family. Yeah. He found his Ethiopian mother and father and sisters and brothers. And because Ethiopians are just such a, an emotional, deep, rooted, grounded people, I honestly, you know, there's a lot of love for me. Have you ever thought, oh, you must have done, uh, that being called Lemon yeah. by your mother, yeah. that being put on the birth certificate? Yeah. Is that because she knew they were going to take you away? No, 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 no. no. I don't. I don't think that that's connected to anything right. at all. Anything at all. No, it, I don't think it's connected to that. No, but it's an extraordinary choice, isn't it? It's almost an insight to it. Well, yeah, it leaves a question mark because I think there is a whole other story, right, that has not been told. Yeah, that is her story. Mm-hmm. which is why she called me why in the first place. Yes. In a way, it must have been the word that was going through her mind most. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll say this much. She knows that nobody else in England would know what it meant. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah, of course. And in Ethiopia, the Amharic, which is what my mother is from Amhara tribe, Yeah, the Amhara people leave poetic messages in names. So ah. Prince Alamayhu, for example, Alem is the world. Yeah, Alamayhu is the world anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so messages are lessened in, inside the names. So, right. Yeah, yeah. How extraordinary. Yeah, but only Ethiopians would know, you see. So it, yeah. it, it's, it's quite profound. Yeah, very profound. It's yeah. very moving. Yeah, thank you. I can't find this book. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Well, uh, if you want to know where it is, it's inside the time capsule. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Lem, let's see if we can think of one thing that you want to put in there and just remove it from your life, something you say, I'm glad that's gone. Well, I was going to say alcohol because I, I've stopped drinking now. Right. And, uh, and so I really, really am glad that I have stopped drinking. <laughs> uh, did you go through a sort of a wild time when you've discovered your own history? You know, I mean, did that affect you in yeah, a way? Yeah, th- well, I, it was all in my teenage years, you see, and, and my early 20s and 30s even. I don't know whether it was wild. It was just self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say self-destructive more than wild, but often the two go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, See, the thing is, there are there are so many things that you could choose at this point. I think 
There are so many things you could say, I wish that hadn't happened. or But they clearly have led you to where you are and have made you who you are. And I think what you do in the world is extraordinary. It's, it's incredibly powerful and very important. I, I, the only reason some of the negatives are important to me is because I've learned the power of forgiveness. Mm. Not because they were the making of me, but because the power of forgiveness is so big that I would I would not like to miss out on on having forgiven. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It's an extraordinarily powerful feeling of unburdening yourself, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's the yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's the gift that does keep on giving. Yeah. People would assume that forgiving people is you making a sacrifice. But in fact, the opposite is true. Yes. Oh, my God. That's Absolutely. People would assume that the opposite is true. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the thing that, oh, oh, yeah, envy. Oh, I'm so jealous you said that. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you. But I think envy is different to jealousy, though. I think somehow, True. I think it is slightly different to jealousy because I shake it off, and I, we're coming up to Christmas at the moment, and I shake it off, but I've cultivated throughout my life an envy of people who have what I assume to be the classic family. So family with all of its dysfunctions, and blah, 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 blah. But I forget about the dysfunctions, and I go straight to envy. And mm. I... I've, re- I've only recently started to realize, and, and I'd like to say I wasn't envious, but I do hear myself in my head saying, well, yeah, you, yes, your mum's just dying now. But l- let me just say this out loud, I mean, because I, I need to out myself. But, yep. but my envy would say, yes, but your mum came to your graduation ceremony. I didn't have anybody who came to mine. Yes, you're, but your mum's got your birthday cards. Uh, and even if, you, even if she didn't, you had someone to call when you had birthday cards or you had, if you lost your keys, you could go to her house. And even if she didn't have a house, she might have a hug. And even if she didn't have a hug, she might have a memory that remembers that, you know, you, you blah, 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 blah. So I, and it's a really bad, it's a re, it's a habit that I had to constantly train myself out of because it's envy, I think. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and envy can stop empathy. And empathy is one of the most beautiful bridges between people that I've ever experienced. So when I hear it given to me, I can also feel it as a wonderful thing as well. <laughs> yeah. but, but I've been so practiced in registering what I've not got that I do believe that it, even if I, it's difficult to admit to it, I do believe it's how envy works it doesn't let you know that that's what you're doing. Yes, it seems right at the time. It seems right at the time, yeah. And mm. it's justifiable and it all makes sense. Yes. But uh, actually... And you try to quantify other people's pain, your pain is nothing in comparison to my pain. Absolutely. Pain, pain is pain. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, there, there is no... Exactly, so I am at that point now of realising, oh, no, Lem, that's not just how it is. There are people who are lonely inside their families. Mm-hmm. There are people who are, and stop it, Lem. And, and, and actually, there's a beautiful blossoming happening actually inside me, which is going, it was envy, Lem. And it stops you getting close to people. 
It stops you getting close to people. It made you not build relationships. Yeah. And, oh, that's what you were most fearful of, building relationships. And you right. found this way. So so I'm going to put envy into there as a thing that I'd like to get rid of once and for all. Very good. Beautiful. Well, we could all do without that. So I think we should all join you and put envy but, in. But we don't know we've got it. till You know what I no, mean? Most no. of the time we don't think it's envy. You know, we think it's this, that or the other. And I've just realized. Yeah, really justified. We're really yeah. justified in yeah. thinking this way. I've yes. been doing that all my life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm going to put envy in there. It's not jealousy for some reason. No, it's it's not that because jealousy is like I don't want you to have it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you've got something and I don't want you to have it. No, 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 no. I, it's envy. Yes, I want what you've got. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah, I can't have. I I've not had what you've got. Yeah. You know. Yes, but what you demonstrate all the time, then, is the ability to look at yourself and see those faults and to learn from it, and to change. And that is absolutely the most important thing in the world, I think. If you're stuck with the same mistakes, you make the same mistakes time and time again, nothing improves. So it's a joy to talk to you, I have to say. Yeah, you too as well, yeah. I feel quite uh, like emotional in a good way. Yeah. Um, But um, it's been a revelation, actually, this interview. (laughs) Wonderful, thanks. (laughs) I'm more honoured than you could possibly know. Thank you, my friend. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Lem Sisse. Thanks for listening. Now, do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends and even enemies that you enjoyed My Time Capsule by rating or reviewing this podcast. Feel free to find me or My Time Capsule on social media and engage with us there. It's a very pleasant community, I promise. You can hear the theme tune on its own on Spotify if you search past the Peas music, who wrote and performed it, Clever Clogs. You can also get this podcast ad-free for a very small monthly subscription through Acast+. Plus. Details in the description of this episode. This was a cast-off production and was produced by John Fenton Stevens. And that's your lot for the time being. But there will be new episodes out soon and we have over 350 online already for you to enjoy. So until we meet again, I'll leave you with my own four-line poem. Or quatrain, as I think I tried and failed to call it in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Many things we treasure. Some are lost some found but if you really love them stick them in the ground bye why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.